Has anybody that you've spoken to claimed to have ever had sex with an alien? Yes. Has there ever been that? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Tell me more. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> it was reptilians. Okay. And they said they were just great. Great at sex. Great at sex. Stacy, welcome to Raw and Relentless. I am really excited for this, not only because we've been talking a little bit before we started rolling on the cameras. It's almost become a meme on my show where I talk about UFOs and aliens at least once every episode because it's something that I recently got really into and went down the rabbit hole. But uh, it's not necessarily my specialty, which is why I'm really excited to have someone like you on, uh, because you're obviously the leader of the MUFON. So let me read this real quick for everybody listening and introduce Stacy properly. Stacy Wright is the state director for Arizona MUFON and also the director of Phoenix MUFON. Stacy is a certified field investigator for MUFON and over the past 13 years has helped to build the Phoenix MUFON chapter from the ground up to become MUFON's international chapter of the year. Stacy has worked as team leader on Rock. Roswell Archaeological Digs, helped design and produce the Phoenix Lights exhibit for the Arizona Historical Society Museum, acted as MUFON's coordinator for the 2018, 2019, 2020 field investigator boot camps, and was team leader for the revision of MUFON's state director handbook. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. What an amazing biography. Um, yeah. So like I was saying, I'm really excited because not only are you someone who specializes in this, this is something you live and breathe. And this is like you obviously, like you said, before we started rolling, you research a lot of, about it and you take it seriously as a science. And I really like that. But also you're the first female guest we've had in about 30 episodes of this Ron Relentless podcast. Oh, so wow. well, I'm honored. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, um, you know, a little bit about or more tell the, the viewers, like, what is MUFON? How did it get created? And like, kind of what's the mission statement here? You know, describe this to me. Okay. Well, MUFON is the acronym for the Mutual UFO Network. Okay. It was started in 1969, and it took off where Project Blue Book left. So a lot of people who might not know their history well, um, have maybe have seen the TV show on, oh, the Science Channel or Discovery or whatever it was called Project Blue Book. Um, so back in 1947, we had Project Sign, then Project Grudge, then Project Blue Book. And this was the Air Force's first attempt at trying to explain what people were seeing in the skies. They didn't do a very good job of it, and they actually had um, J. Allen Hynek, who was the person that they brought in to debunk everything. After so many cases of looking into you know the statistics and just the information that they're gathering about these UFO sightings, he realized that this stuff is for real. So he really changed his tune from debunking it to trying to prove that it was all real stuff. So, um, you know, we, we love J. Allen Hynek for what he did. And so Project Blue Book took off. Didn't really do a lot because, you know, it was run by the Air Force. So they're not going to disclose too much to mm. the public. Mm. So MUFON took over. And MUFON is the world's largest uh, UFO sighting reporting database. We hold that. So there's a lot of other groups out there that will take your sighting reports, but they do not investigate it. And so one of MUFON's little slogans is, others talk, we investigate. And that's absolutely true. MUFON is the world's leading investigative source for UFO sighting reports. I see. So um, it's a worldwide organization. It's a 501c3 organization. So it's all volunteer. We all have, you know, regular day jobs. 
do yeah. our stuff and do this on the side as volunteers. Uh, there's MUFON pretty much in every country in the world. In the United States, there is MUFON in every 50 states. Um, in Arizona, we have three chapters. We've got Phoenix MUFON, Sedona MUFON, and Sholo MUFON. Mm. So we've got 19 field investigators just in the state of Arizona. They're all certified in what they do. And yes, we do take this as a science. You know, the study of ufology is a really serious thing. And especially lately with all the news that has come out of the Pentagon, Washington, D.C., the Navy, there's some stuff out there that just cannot be debunked. And so we're kind of, we're liking that I told you so thing going yeah. on right now. Yeah. I'll be honest. I didn't know what to expect when I came to that MUFON meeting you know, a couple months ago at this point. Um, and I don't even know how I found out about MUFON. I think I might've been watching a documentary and it got mentioned or someone, I think my buddy Clark, who came to me, came to the meeting with me, mm -hmm. he went on a, a UFO tour in Sedona where they t took him out with like night vision goggles and they saw the lights right. in the sky. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Have you done that? Yeah. yeah okay. I have some night vision goggles, so I use them a lot. Do you need the military grade night vision goggles yeah, to get it? Yeah, you do. Okay. You do. Because I bought some $200 ones from Walmart and they were not yeah. working. <laughs> yeah. No, we, you got to have the, the good generation three or better to really see what you want to see. I see. Okay. Well, I'm interested in that even alone, but like, so I, I didn't know what to expect when I came to the Phoenix move on. I'd obviously even heard about Travis Walton's story. Um, and that was like the main reason I wanted to go because being someone who recently got down the rabbit hole, I didn't really take a lot of the abduction stuff seriously because you know, people can see things. I've definitely seen things I can't explain, not even UFOs, just like paranormal stuff. Um, and paranormal also has a kind of a stigma, but it's just outside the normal. I can't explain right. it. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of where, where Travis, his story really captivated me because unlike a lot of what people would think is an abduction story, like, oh, sure, you got abducted by aliens. His has a lot of corroborating evidence that really is hard to debunk. It does. Yeah. So I guess my question to you is like when I showed up there, I didn't know what the demographic would be, male, female, what age range and whatnot. And I'll be honest, I was very surprised by what I, by the people I, I met there, um, including yourself. I was not expecting the head of the Phoenix MUFON, which is like saying I'm the head of the Los Angeles Lakers. Like of all the basketball teams, this is like the big one because Phoenix is pretty famous for mass UFO sightings. And so what was the moment? Do you remember the moment that you became interested in this specific phenomenon yourself? Well, you know, I was always interested in the universe, even as a kid. You know, I was always interested in the stars and loved to just sleep out in the backyard and stare up at the sky at night. You know, I just always loved that. I never really thought about UFOs too much. Um, you know, we all grew up with Star Trek and the Jetsons and stuff like that. So, yeah, we knew that was out there. But I never really got into the whole UFO alien thing too much. Um, went to college at Idaho State University specifically because they had a great astronomy program there. And, uh, but really never too much still into the UFO thing, you know, it was just more into astronomy. And then all of a sudden, um, Jim Mann was helping me run Phoenix MUFON. We started that together back in 2007 and we were talking one day and we just thought, you know, there's this world-class city here that had the Phoenix lights for God's sake. There's got to be some kind of a cool UFO meeting going on. And so I looked and looked out online and I found this weird thing called MUFON. I thought, wow, you know, I wonder if they have meetings. And it looked like they hadn't had anything. They'd lain dormant in Phoenix for about eight years. So I wrote to someone at MUFON, not knowing that it was the executive director. And I said, hey, you know, what's, what's up with Phoenix? We need to have a meeting here. And he said, well, let me, let me get back to you. So about two weeks later, 
he got back to me. He said, I found a meeting for you. We're going to start one up. Um, they're looking for someone to run it. So show up. So I showed up. There was about maybe six of us there. It was kind of crazy. It wasn't what I expected at all. You know, I thought, oh, man, there's going to be so many fun people here. I can't wait because people watching is a fun thing. Okay. So I thought, yeah, there's going to be weirdos and good people there. You know, it's going to be fun. Um, you were probably like me. You had no clue what to expect yeah, going into no, the meeting. Nothing. Yeah. I just thought, this is interesting. I got to go check this out. Yeah. So there's about six people there. It wasn't anything too far out or anything like I was expecting, but they were looking for volunteers to try to, you know, start something up. So I raised my hand. And I thought, you know, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. This, this doesn't look too bad. Although I've never done any public speaking before or anything like that. And here but you are on a podcast. I know. Yeah, <laughs> here I am. But uh, so anyway, we just kind of started that up and it, it took off. People were so looking for something like this. They were just eager for it and... You know, we started out small and we changed venues probably, oh my gosh, maybe 10 times because we kept outgrowing the venues. We just mm. kept getting people, people, people. So um, it was just kind of like, I don't know, like a switch just all of a sudden went off and that was my main interest. So mm. yeah, then there came the reading of the books and the research and the, you know, the looking into all this stuff. And it's just a fascinating subject that I still can't find enough hours in the day to do the reading that I would love to do and research on it. It's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I felt found really like refreshing is like when before we even started rolling, you you mentioned like, you know, we take this seriously. We don't want to joke about this. We want to talk about it seriously. And I was like, I'm I'm totally with you. And it's like it's crazy because like when I went to the MUFON, it was like I could finally openly talk about something that I'd been fascinated by. I've been going down the rabbit hole, but if I like, I I'm an entrepreneur, I have a business on the outside of this podcast. And so I'll go to like marketing conferences and business conferences. I'll try to describe this to other people. And then I'll realize exactly what you said. Like the moment I, I, I let the cat out of the bag, like I could talk about it for hours and there's so much I, I want to, Oh, and this happened and then this happened. And then this, this is crazy. Right. And then they start looking at you like, Oh my God, who is this guy? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a wide range, this subject. Um, you know, MUFON does not like to say that it delves into the paranormal. Mm. but I have a, a little issue with that because it is all paranormal. Mm -hmm. It's anything that's outside of the normal. So when you're talking about ghosts, when you're talking about Bigfoot, you're talking about Mothman, you're talking about all kinds of things that people would consider paranormal and you're just a wacko. You're just this woo woo weirdo, you know? Um, but then you can look at the UFO subject and find statistics and corroboration. And there's years and years of, you know, just data you can put together and you can connect those dots and this 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 is not a joke it's really happening yeah so now we've got you know big agencies out there that are backing us up and yeah it's all good so with one thing i didn't know about mufon was that you said it was basically an extension of project blue book mm -hmm. and so for the people who don't know like that was government that was a whole organization by them. Oh, yeah. Was that also related to Majestic 12? Was it the, basically the same um, thing? Well, it was, Project Blue Book was run by the Air Force, and it was an attempt to debunk the subject and make people feel like fools for looking into it mm. because they knew there was stuff going on, and they couldn't explain it, and they couldn't fight it. It was a security risk, still is. Um, so, yeah, they just you know wanted to debunk it, and that's what they started out yeah. to do, and then they couldn't, and it kind of all turned on them just a little bit. And so here we are now with people looking into this worldwide and we're finding that there are, you know, things that are so relative and so parallel worldwide and it just yeah. cannot be debunked. What do you feel like is the motivation for them originally trying to debunk everything? 
Was it like a national security uh, thing or was embarrassment. it like... Okay. I mean, we we don't understand this. We cannot duplicate it. We cannot fight it. Um, there's a lot of things that they would be embarrassed about. And then you start one lie and you compound that with all kinds of other lies on top, such as the whole Roswell debacle. Mm. Okay. You look at something like that and then pretty soon, no, there's nothing you can do to save face on that. So I think right now, I think that really is what's going on. They, If people were to say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we lied all about that Roswell thing or we lied all about Shag Harbor. We lied about the Gulf Breeze sightings. I mean. What's Shag Harbor? I've never heard of that one. Um, Shag Harbor happened up in, I, it was in Canada, Newfoundland, maybe up in that area. And it was, uh, I think we're talking about maybe 19, late 50s. Um, there was a Coast Guard vessel involved with this. There was a, you know, a bunch of fishermen there. They saw something go down into the water. They didn't know what it was. They saw the lights under the water. And they thought maybe a plane had gone down. They didn't know what in the world that could be because, you know, we don't see a lot of UFOs yeah. flying around and then going underwater, um, which they do a lot. So uh, they called the Coast Guard in. They called divers in. They couldn't find anything there, but they did see some tracking on radar under the water of this ship. And another one kind of like came to its rescue and, and went right over the top of it. So there was two of them submerged under the water. And there's eyewitness reports of this from the radar operators. And it's just, and they, they came up out of the water and took off into the sky. Huh. People did see that. So Shag Harbor is really an interesting story. You know, people need to look into that. Just Google it. You'll find out the whole yeah. story. It's, it's an amazing story. Yeah. So. One thing that really kind of like, I don't know, I almost had a little bit of a existential crisis when I first started looking into this because, you know, my whole life, you know, I recently turned 30 this year, but like, for the first 28 and a half years of my life, in my opinion, or just not even my opinion, just what I assumed was UFOs and aliens, that's a thing of the movies. Um, if they did come, they would be like Independence Day, like a big metal ship in the sky. Right. And I just assumed that. And I assumed that flying saucers, things like that, that was just that was just like the Jetsons, like what you said. Yeah. But what really blew my mind is I saw a documentary. I think I bought, watched the Bob Lazar uh, interview with Joe Rogan. Right. That really got me to just do a quick Google search. And the first thing I found was that CIA.gov has a bunch of released documents that you can look at on their website. And it's not like a fake website. It is CIA.gov. And one of the documents I looked at was just a bunch of photos of flying saucers and UFOs. And I sent it to my mom who... Um, you know, I don't even want to put her on blast, but I sent it to my mom and she, I grew up in an army town. So we know a lot of the people in the military. Right. And so if anybody's going to be like, oh, that's kind of crazy. It would be my mom. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I don't know. That's kind of where I started going down the rabbit hole and it, it, it just blew my mind. And then I started trying to put the pieces together and then it seems like it all really comes down to Roswell. Right. That's like kind of where it began. It is. It's, you know, the best documented bunch of BS out there. Yeah. It's great. It's great stuff. What What's your take on Roswell? What do you think happened out there in the, de in the um, desert? Well, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of different people. There's there's a few different camps of thought on what happened at Roswell. Um, Don Schmidt, he's a, a, a legend as far as the Roswell um, studies, and we've worked with him a little bit. We actually went out there on a Roswell dig. Uh, Phoenix MUFON took 10 of its members out there and, and helped dig and had a great time. Yeah, it was just amazing, amazing archaeological dig out there. Did you find anything? Um, 
I can't tell you that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, like physical objects or yeah. just like readings on meters? Yeah. No, we, we had a lot of readings on meters because we have, you know, metal detectors out there. Mm. And this place is so wide open and so barren and so nothing out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, nowhere. And so we had uh, four film crews out there with us, one from Mexico, one from Denmark, uh, one from Atlanta, and one from Great Britain. So it was very well documented. Um, we gridded everything off, and we worked from sunup to sundown and some really harsh conditions out there. And just, you know, we did a lot of uh, digging in holes, animal burrows. They would take things down in the burrows. Mm. So the, the place has been scoured already. So you figure if you can't find anything on the ground, let's go underground. So the next step would be ground penetrating radar. And um, we didn't have any of that with us that day, but that's that's coming up. Don wants to do another dig, so we'll probably incorporate that. Um, but we did a lot of, you know, metal detecting and found a lot of stuff. Um, the Army had come in and seeded the whole area with a million nails. Mm. Nails. To discourage anyone that was out there with their metal detectors, you're just going to get so frustrated, you know, finding nothing but nails all day long, you're not going to come back again. So the site where we were at wasn't really what's considered the crash site out there at Roswell, but it was the debris site. So where the craft came in and maybe touched down, skiffed, bounced back up again, skiffed again, this was the debris field, and it's all based on what the wind conditions were at the time, and there's, you know, historical fact on that. So uh, we kind of laid all that out and figured what was the debris field. So that's where we scoured out there, and it was huge. The place is just huge. So Are these things that you can see on something like Google Earth, like something hit the ground here, something landed here, like little craters or something like that? You could normally. But, you know, they were pretty smart. They came in there with heavy equipment, and they made their own mounds. They made their own divots. They mm. dug out the hills. They made it look like you would never see anything there. So that just kind of leads me to believe that there must have been some giant scour marks in the earth or some kind of divot knocked out of a the hillside. You know, there had to be something there for yeah. them to have to go to all that, you know, manpower and mess it all up again. Something you just reminded me of was, I don't know if it was like a episode of ancient aliens or some random YouTube video I saw, but there's like basically long skid marks in this snowy area that's recent. Um, and they think it's shaped like Oumuamua, the long, mm -hmm. um, the interstellar object. Yeah. 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 Did you oh, hear about that? At I all? did not. That's news to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was actually that I feel like yeah. people would have been talking about if that thing came that close yeah. to where it, I think if Oumuamua came in, we would It'd, it'd be all over the news. Yeah. Because the astronomers have been watching that now for the second time. It kind It's of, coming back? It kind of came back around just a little bit. So um, there's some intelligence behind that for sure. You That's, think so? Yeah, I do. What about that tells you or makes you believe that? Um, the object, when it was first noticed, came into our area, slowed down, and stopped. Hmm. And then it backed out. What? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I didn't I, hear about that. Yeah, I thought this was so interesting and people really needed to hear about this. And I, I really wanted to get um, the astronomer who discovered it in. And I did talk with him on the phone, but he was a little shy about talking to a you know weirdo UFO group. And he didn't want to do that. So um, I talked to Dr. Kevin Healy, who runs the planetarium at Mesa Community College. And we've gone to their you know Friday night spectacular thing that they have in there. 
Um, I think it's every first Friday of the month they have this free planetarium show in there that's really cool. And he's the head of all that, and they do a fantastic job. So I had talked to him out there uh, by the telescopes one night and talked him into coming to speak to us about this subject. He was a little leery, you know, about, you know, UFO group, really, you know, but on something so technical, he thought, yeah, I want to come and talk about this. So he did. He came and he spoke at a Phoenix MUFON meeting about a year ago, did a fantastic job. Everyone loved it, and he just, you know, gave everyone the facts, and people were pretty wowed by that. And this is a uh, a non-biased scientist who, uh, you said astronomer, mm-hmm. and he was the one who discovered Oumuamua? No. He, okay. Dr. Kevin Healy is just our local expert. Got it. Okay. Um, the guy who discovered it, uh, I think his last name is something like Avi, something like that. Interesting. So I can't remember his name right now, but yeah. yeah, it is interesting. It's very interesting. What do you feel about the recent news of like the Israeli government official who came out and said like the intergalactic federation said we're not ready to know about their presence and things like that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean that I've heard this before from other people years ago that we're just not ready. We're not, you know, cool enough to, to know the secrets yet. We're still such a warlike species on this planet. Why would they ever want to come and, and help us? you know, evolve a little more or whatever. We're just, we can't even get along with each other and we're the same species for God's sake. So I I think we have a lot of work to do here on this planet before we might be able to be welcomed into the galactic thing out there. I feel like what made that so compelling is like, there's been a lot of people who say like, maybe we're not ready. Maybe that's why we're not saying, but it always seems like speculation, right? Right. But when a government official says, this galactic federation says we're not ready. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I now saw it's a- that too. I didn't look into it too deeply because I just wasn't sure it was going to go anywhere. Cause like I said, I've heard this before from a lot of people who are not as high up as he is. Mm. Um, is he, is that guy still in the government? Do you know? I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly okay. what, uh, you know, what level he's at or anything, but yeah, I read that all over, you know, social media and I thought, wow, dude, yeah. You've got some backbone to come out and say that. I don't know if he's still got his job. Yeah. I kind of doubt it. Um, but yeah, interesting and not too far-fetched when you really think about what's going on here on this planet right now, especially this mm. whole last year. It's a yeah. crazy world we live in. You know, It almost seems like there's so much going on that as an attempt to take people's minds off of it, they're like, here, just let's release the UFO files real quick, Maybe you know? a good distraction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what kind of blows my mind is like Luis Elizondo, who's the guy from the Pentagon who brought out those right. two, was it two or three videos from the Pentagon? Mm-hmm. He has a show on, I don't know if it's the History Channel or not, called Unidentified, but it right. seems like this is a guy who is just like any ufologist, but he's now under the government's umbrella. Because from what I could gather, it seemed like other than those videos, he didn't really know a lot more than that. Yeah, Lou Elizondo is not just a UFO guy. He's not even a UFO guy at all. Mm. He worked for the Pentagon. He was part of their security. You know, he had a really big job there and he decided after everything getting shot down, he, you know, really needed to come out and tell people this stuff is all real. So that's what he's doing. Um, he's pretty brave for doing that. And he had a, a crack team working with him at to the stars Academy. I know now they're, uh, Lou, Chris Mellon and, uh, one other one of the gentlemen left the group. Why is that? Uh, I don't know exactly. They just decided it was time. So they just did this maybe yesterday. 
huh. brand new news. They left the group. They're not with To The Stars Academy anymore. Was it Tom DeLong or no, someone else? No, Tom's the head of the whole thing. It was, um, I just can't remember his name. Do you remember his name, Tara? Huh. It'll come to me later. Yeah. But yeah, three of the guys left. So Hal Putoff is still very much involved with that. And, um, you know, he'll they'll carry it through and see what's going on. But, you know, a lot of groups like this come and go. They do. It just, you know, I think their funding wasn't where they wanted it to be. And they've been looking for funding publicly for a long time. Um, it takes a lot of money to do what they do. But the show that, that they put out, Unidentified, I think that's one of the best things out there. Really? That show had truth to it. There is this, you know, I've, I've met a lot of the people on that show. And they're not lying. This stuff is really happening. And um, they're disclosing it, which is great. Yeah. So disclosure is happening with a small D, not a big D. It's mm. happening every day, little by little. It's not one giant announcement, you know, or one big landing on the White House lawn. It's not happening like yeah. that. It's just slowly information coming out and people coming to terms with it. Um, you know, like you were saying, people just think you're a nut sometimes, yeah. you know. Um, it's it's great to have a healthy sense of skepticism on this. You have to have that. You can't just go out there and believe everything that you hear. Um, I hear stuff every day here in Arizona and because we've got a lot going on in the state. But if you believed everything that you ever heard, yeah, you'd, you'd go nuts for one thing, and you just can't. You have to have that healthy sense of skepticism to be able to determine and kind of use your BS meter on some of this stuff. Yeah. It's really important because there's just so much out there. Yeah. So. No, I agree. Like, even myself, I've, I've kind of had this internal debate. I've talked about it with Chris a little bit. Even if I saw uh, on a, a UFO, something I couldn't identify, something I couldn't explain— I personally don't even know if I would still 100% believe it was alien, right? It could be a top secret government project. It could be any number of things, or it could just be me trying to say that's unexplainable when it really is, right? So I, I agree with the healthy level of skepticism. I guess kind of along the same lines of where we were at is like part of with the little D, what you were saying, it almost seems like even with the little bits of information we get from these legit government sources, I'm not always quite satisfied. I'm not quite satiated with what is put out. Lou Elizondo's show Unidentified, for example. I watch it and I'm I'm like, great. They're talking more in detail about these clips. They're interviewing the people on the ships who were there, who were looking at the radars and whatnot. All great information. But still, it's like, talk about Roswell. Talk about all this other stuff that they think the government is covering up. But it seems to me like, and maybe this is just because they're not telling everything that they know, but it's kind of seems to me like they're giving us just the tip of the iceberg. You know, they're, they're letting us know a lot about these clips, but it almost seems like the fact that they're kind of just not talking about all the other stuff makes me think that maybe Lou Elizondo is just being kept on the outskirts, like a little patsy, like well, they're giving him just enough information. There's always a script too. You have to understand these shows that are being produced, they have their own agenda. And no matter what kind of information you want to put out there, I don't care if you're from, from the Pentagon or anywhere. If you don't go by their agenda, you're not going to be on their show. Mm. So they are scripted. They they should want the truth, and we want to get the truth out. But there still is a little bit of scripting on some of this stuff. Um, what do you think the truth is? Oh, man, that's a great question. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, that's the big mystery out there. We're trying to connect the dots. We're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. But, no, I don't think anyone knows exactly what's going on. I just know that we've been lied to since the dawn of time. Um, 
Our history books need to be rewritten. There's a lot of stuff out there that just is not true. And we're, we're coming to terms with some of that stuff. Um, the more we dig into the past, archaeology is a big piece of this. Um, yeah, we're finding stuff out. Yeah. One of the, speaking of archaeology, even the ancient aliens theory is something that I had never really gotten into. Like I'm slowly getting more into it. I just recently with Travis Walton's story got more into the abductee side of things. Right. Um, but the, the ancient aliens, the archeological stuff, I had Scott Walter on who is the host of America on earth. And he talks a lot about like the America geological things that a lot of people don't talk about. And one of the things that really blew my mind that we even showed me the stones on our episode was these stones that were dug up out of the ground in, I believe it was Mexico And they are shaped like gray alien heads. They have carvings in the stone and they carbon dated the, like the inside of these carvings. They scratched out little pieces of it, carbon dated it. And it was carbon dated to 9,000 years ago from today, right? Before present. And that's mind blowing alone, especially when he said out of all, he said he probably has like five or six stones, right? They're all shaped like gray aliens and whatnot. They all have hieroglyphic type carvings in them. And he said in the, in the background, I I can actually bring up uh, and I'll show it to you because I think it's worth showing it to you. But in the hieroglyphs, he said, they're all like watermarks in the background. And he wrote down and documented every symbol he could find and not one of them repeats. And there's thousands of them. Mm. And he said to him, now, he's not like some language expert or anything, but he said to him, that tells him if not one symbol repeats and there's thousands of them, it's not an alphabet. And he said what he thinks it represents is uh, basically a hieroglyphic interpretation of telepathic communication. That's what he said. Now, that's blow- mind-blowing. That's deep. Yeah. <laughs> really, you know. Um, yeah, that's a good one. So, like, that's one of the stones that he showed me. Okay. Uh And then he turns it around, but I don't know if you can see it. There's like little symbol there, little symbol there, little symbol there, little um, and like he, those are the symbols that he said, not one of them repeats. And he thinks it represents telepathic communication. Um, so, I mean, considering that that was made 9,000 years ago, pretty mind blowing. It is. Things are so much older. You know, I like to quote Graham Hancock on that. Everything is just so much older than, than what we've ever imagined that it could be. And if people want to look into this, like say you hear something like un- unidentified and you're not getting the whole story, people do your research. There yeah. is tons of information out there. And we are at an age now where we have access to it. We never had this before the internet. So look into it. Mm. Um, at our Phoenix MUFON meetings, we try to introduce material to people that then wants them, you know, makes them want to go home and look into this stuff. Yeah, And maybe some of this stuff is controversial and we're stirring up a can of worms here. Good, good. Get your juices flowing. Go home and research this stuff. There's a ton of material out there and everyone should do their own research. Only then can you really find out what it is that resonates with you and what the truth is for you because it might be different for another person. Yeah. But, um, you know, the archaeology that we're finding out now, everything is so much older than what we ever thought. And if people want a, a great person on that, read anything by Graham Hancock. Um Fingerprints of the gods. That was my Bible. Yeah. Okay. That was my Bible. That's what really got me started on the subject was reading that book. And I've got it highlighted up and flagged mm. on the sides. And, you know, it's just, there's a lot of great stuff in there. And he's written a lot of good things since then. Um, he just wrote a book about everything in the Americas. Um, 
and it's great. I saw him speak over here in Tempe last year. Oh, really? And um, had his book before that, but had him sign it that day. And we've been trying to get him into Phoenix MUFON. Um, I've been in contact with him for probably 11 years now. Really? I have emails going back 11 years. Why don't, to think get he, him. why don't you think he wants to come on? Um, he will not ever say the word extraterrestrial or alien in anything he talks about. I've noticed but he that. will talk about ancient beings, but that's all he'll say. So he doesn't want to get involved or have anyone think he's part of the UFO crowd. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're a pretty cool crowd myself, <laughs> but some people just think, yeah. that, you know, that's not so cool. So, yeah, he doesn't like to speak at UFO groups, mm. but he'll speak about the whole subject without saying the words. I see. So I've seen him speak four or five times. So Interesting. Yeah. But he's a, he's a great researcher, writes some great books, and, yeah, people should look into what he's writing. Yeah. One of the guys you introduced me to after the the meeting I attended was a guy named Michael Polani, mm-hmm. who I guess is a he's an expert on just the Antarctica Nazi UFO connection, right? Um, which I find one of the most fascinating aspects of the entire, um, I guess, phenomenon or narrative, if you will, uh, of what could have potentially happened. And what what really got me down that rabbit that side of the rabbit hole was like the guy Tom DeLong to the stars Academy. I think I saw in an interview, he said somewhere where he thinks Roswell was actually Germans. He thinks it was German, a German ship with crashed Germans inside of it. Yeah. I've heard that. I, I, I'm not sure I subscribe to that at all, but yeah, I've heard that there's a lot of different theories. Yeah. But yeah, Michael Polani is a great researcher. We've had him speak to Phoenix move on twice over the years and he's a good friend. He used to live here and then he moved over to the Bay area again and now he's back in Arizona so, yeah, he's done a lot of really good research, and he's got some good stuff going on. Have you seen some of the pictures that he had on his phone of, like, different UFOs he's seen? Yeah, I have. Those are pretty crazy. Um, but, like, again, it's like some of those pictures, a lot of the pictures you see, it's like a lot of times a ball of light. Right. And it's like for someone who is a little bit of a skeptic or has a healthy level level of skepticism, it's hard to say that this is definitive proof of like a you know it's hard for even a certified field investigator to say this is definitive proof um we're lucky enough here in arizona to have a a master photo and video analyst he's also our chief investigator for arizona mufon and his name is dennis freremuth and he uh you know helps run all of our field investigators and and coaches them and he's just a master at what he does but he's got great equipment great programs great software to be able to find out what everything is or what it isn't. So we can we can pretty much look into anything and, and tell you, you know, if that's a UFO or not. Yeah. Um, and an unidentified flying object, there's a lot of that out there. At first, they're all unidentified. They're all UFOs. Yeah. And then we find a little bit more about it and a little more and a little more, and we just, you know, it's like an onion. You peel back the layers and you finally find out what's really going on. And then we can identify that with a disposition at the end of our report and let people know what it was. And a lot of people don't want to hear what our findings are. You know, they're like, no, no, I know what I saw. It was much weirder than that. But there's a lot of weird out there. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the skies that are really our stuff. You know, people don't realize that our technology is probably 70 years in advance of what you could ever, ever imagine. We've got some great stuff out there. So a lot of the stuff is ours. Um, There's one researcher that lives here in the Valley and a great speaker. His name is Michael Schratt. And he is a uh, great military aviation historian. And he can he can pretty much tell you what is what. 
on stuff. Hmm. Um, I've talked with Michael many times about the Phoenix Lights, and he and I both agree that that's not our stuff. What, could, what makes him say be. that? What do you mean? What? Well, the fact that, you know, back in 1997, our technology wasn't that cool back then. Okay. Yeah. This thing that flew across the whole state of Arizona. Did you witness this? I did not. Okay. I lived here, but I did not see it. You were like, dang, I shouldn't have you know, stayed inside had, that night. Yeah, I had people from out of state actually call me and say, hey, there was a UFO in Arizona last night. And I'm like, what? So, um, <laughs> And this is before you were in the yeah, MUFON. Right. Okay. This is before. What was your opinion at the time when you... My kids saw it. I did not see it. Interesting. But, you know, the thing that flew across this state, and there wasn't just one. People don't realize there were seven or eight craft throughout all parts of the state that different people were seeing. All big ones? I'm not sure the size of them, but the one giant one, the boomerang-shaped thing that flew diagonally across this state was so low and so slow and completely silent. We don't have that. We did not have that back in 97. Something that big that makes zero sound and can be that low. I mean, everything we have that goes fast or that stays up in the air makes really big loud. sound. Okay, we got propulsion that makes sound, giant sound. Well, back then, we didn't have any technology to do that. We we still don't that I know of. Um, So really, when you think of something that was the size of football fields in length, Something that could fit, I don't know how many 747s on each side of it they said could go on there. Something like 20. Okay, Mm. that's how big this thing was. It was huge. And for that thing to be flying so silently and so low, right over the heart of a major metropolitan city and making zero noise, you just just had to look up to see it and notice that maybe the stars had been blanked out somewhere like that, you know? And yeah, I wish I could see something like that. That would be the coolest. To yeah. see the stars disappear behind, you know, the wings of something like that. Were this. the Phoenix lights all after dark? No. No, there was some during the day. I know there's reports of a bunch of people between Phoenix and Flagstaff on I-17. There's that big rest area called uh, Sunset Rest Area or something like that right on the way up there. And there was people that were pulled off on both sides of the road watching this giant craft. And I don't think it was the same one. It was something different. Hmm. Flying down through that big canyon that's just to the west of that rest area. Everyone, hundreds of people pulled over to the side of the road watching this. Dang. Um, there was another report of a Little League baseball game happening in Phoenix where, you know, you had the both teams, the coaches, the refs, the spectators on both sides. Everything just stopped, and they just all stood there and watched this thing go right overhead. So there's reports of this. I mean, there was tens of thousands of eyewitnesses to the Phoenix lights. It's still, to date, the largest mass sighting of any UFO ever. So we had... Tens of thousands of people that were eyewitnesses to this. We had a thousand 911 calls on it. And uh, did they scramble fighter jets or anything like that? I heard that they did. I can't verify that. I heard that they did. I've heard from a couple different sources that that happened. Um, I know that out of, uh, I think it was Davis Monthan Air Force Base south of here, they did scramble a bunch of A 10 warthogs. Um, and they tried to cover up the whole story by bringing in a group that was called, I think it was Operation Snowbird. So the sighting that really happened was about 8.30 at night. And then what they said the sighting was later, there was a bunch of flares, military flares that they did drop at 10.30 at night to cover up the hmm. story. They said, oh, no, we dropped flares. That's what you people were seeing. You know, nothing to see here, folks. It was yeah. really 1030. It wasn't 830. Swamp gas from yeah, Florida. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, there was a cover-up on that that they tried, but it's, you know, there's the military flair thing just doesn't fly. Yeah. Have you ever had to try, uh, tried to have Fife Symington, uh, who was like the government governor at the time, come and attend a Phoenix MUFON or anything no, like that? No, we haven't uh, asked him. From what I understand, he's living in California somewhere now, you know, living the life of leisure, and I don't think he delves into this. He was an eyewitness, and um, he says, I'm not sure I believe that, though. What do you because mean? Because he, well, he, you know, he debunked it so badly yeah. on camera in the state house down here and to such a bad degree when he brought out that guy dressed up as an alien. That was so demeaning and so insulting to everyone who really did witness this event. And he lost a lot of likes on really? that one. I mean, people just hated his guts. So then all of a sudden later he comes out and says, yeah, you know, I did see that. I witnessed the Phoenix lights too. I'm sorry, but yeah, I did. Well, who's going to believe him now? You lied once before. Who's to say you're not lying again now? I, I don't believe him mm. because it would just be so easy for any politician to say that. Other than the validation of the people he pissed off over 20 years ago, what what reason would he have to come out now and say, I believe that it's unexplainable, it wasn't ours, it wasn't Flair's, and I did see it. You know, what's the motivation behind that? I don't that, know, just then? to jump on the fun wagon, I guess. You know, and James Fox, you know, got him on camera stating all this. And, and James did a, a great uh, documentary called I Know What I Saw that has Fife Symington on there stating his stuff. Um, so, yeah, you know, you can everyone's you can believe him or not. I, I simply don't mm. because I just don't. Yeah. One of the frustrating things about me for me personally about the Phoenix Lights is unlike Roswell, there's not a whole lot of tangible things that we can do to further investigate it. Uh, and again, I'm not a ufologist, right? So maybe I'm wrong here. Um, but like Roswell, there's a lot of eyewitness accounts. There's witnesses who were there who helped clean it up. There's newspaper articles. There's just paper trails, right? But with this, it was kind of like, from what I'm gathering, lots of videos of lights, lots of people talking about seeing the lights, but then the government said it was flares. And then that's, pretty much it right yeah there's no whistleblowers like i was scrambled i saw it i was up close i tried to scram like there's none none of that right yeah. um so i guess is there ev, ev, is, am i wrong is there more things that maybe i'm just not looking into about the phoenix well, lights when you look at the the origin of the phoenix lights um the craft that people were seeing i think it started basically in henderson nevada so las vegas coming from that area all the way across the state, pretty much followed our freeway, mm. all the way down, all the way across the border. Was this Mexico. after Will Smith's Independence Day came out? <laughs> <laughs> when did that come out? Um, that think, was early 90s, might have yeah, been. Yeah, so this was 97. They were probably like, shoot, so, yeah. someone beat us there already. Know, we got to right? go. Got our idea. Um, but, you know, so a lot of people have said, well, it had to be something from Area 51. It came from that area. It had to be something. So... If that was the case, you have to look at it two different ways. If it was ours, super secret thing that we're keeping up there at Area 51, so what, we let it loose and we go parade it over the top of a major metropolitan city? Yeah. That's a really good way to keep it secret, you know? So that doesn't really fly with me. So if it was something alien, say it was theirs, still maybe it, what, it escaped, it got loose? It got loose from Area 51? I mean, yeah. what? You let, it, you, let, you let it loose? So I don't know. You know, we just don't know what that is. But I know in talking with Michael Schratt and, and 
you know, going over some of these details on this, he says, no, that was, that was not ours. Mm. It couldn't be. We just didn't have the technology to do what that did. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have proof, but we do have eyewitness testimony. So there's a big difference between evidence, which is what we have, and proof. Yeah. We have the evidence in, in that we have mass amounts of eyewitness testimony. When you have that much eyewitness testimony, it becomes evidence. Yeah. We just can't call it proof because we don't have something tangible in our hand. I we think that's the other hand. frustrating thing about all the eyewitness testimony is even though there's thousands of them, it, it seems like to me half of them are saying it was one big craft. And then you get a, another percentage of people who are all saying, no, it was a bunch of little craft. Yeah. You know? Um, um, it almost seems like um, that maybe the phenomenon presents itself to each specific viewer. Hmm. Because I, I know I've, I've heard people say numerous times that they saw something. They were with other people. No one saw that. Just them. Huh. Just them. Say something happened to their whole house. Say their whole house was, I don't know, bathed in light from a giant ship or whatever happened. None of the neighbors saw this. Um, it, it does seem to be specific to people sometimes, very much so. Yeah. I found that it fascinating. During Travis's interview at the MUFON meeting, he said something that really fascinated me, which was they asked whoever, what was the name of the guy who was interviewing him? Shane Hurd. Shane. Yeah. Shane asked, have you seen any other UFOs afterwards? And he, I don't know if you caught this, but he was like, I mean, look up in the sky. You're bound to see one. I mean, pretty much everybody's seen one. And I'm like, I've never seen one. And I look all the time. And Phoenix is interesting because, like, we have the airport right here. So even if I'm always looking at the sky, I'm going to see about 10 planes at any given right. time of the day. You know, stacked up on the horizon. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you got to really look, you know. And the more you look, the more you, you learn to discern what things are. So, you know, if it's got something blinking on it, Probably an airplane. You know, get out your good binoculars. Take a look. You got some red and green lights on each side blinking. Okay, airplane. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if there's noise, if you see it moving like an airplane would, um, it's probably an airplane. But, you know, you really got to look at stuff. You watch something for a long time, and all of a sudden you see it take a sharp right angle turn. We don't do that. Okay. Mm. Our stuff doesn't do that. We don't have the technology to do that and survive it. Yeah. So you see something taking a sharp right angle turn, you can pretty much bet that that's not anything that we've built. Yeah. Being that you try to take a scientific approach to looking into the topic and the phenomenon, do you yourself like to put together almost like a detective, a narrative of what could be going on? Or do you try your best to say, this is all I know, kind of like a Graham Han Hancock. I'll make interpolations and kind of imply it, but I won't outright say it. Like, wh how do you, where do you stand on all that? Well, we've got to stand on just the facts, ma'am. Mm. You know, I mean, we do. We have to gather the facts and go with those facts. Um, we might all have our own interpretation of what went on, but we have to go with the facts. It's the science. You know, it's just the science of it. Um, mm. Everyone wants to hear an outrageous, fun story. Yeah, yeah. you know. But you have to stick to the facts and just go with that. We can't make up our own stuff. And it's really hard to um, put a story to things. Um, and the people that we hear the stories from, yeah, they want to hear that. They want to hear all kinds of cool stuff about their sighting. Yeah. But we have to go back to them and give them just what we learned about it. And, you know, we don't know what this was. You know, we can call it an unknown. And the unknowns are the really cool things that we do. Um 95% of everything that we investigate can be found out to be something else. It's that other small percentage that's the interesting part. Mm. So even if there was only 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%
well, what was that? Yeah. What was that? We can't explain that. It is unknown. So that's that's where the phenomenon lies. And that's the 1% that got um, the Project Blue Book guy, um, what's his face? Uh, J. Allen Hynek uh-huh. to actually start supporting right. this after. Because even if there's 1%, yes, those are his words. Have even. you ever seen that video of, I believe it was NASA video, looking at the sun where this big black sphere is drawing plasma out of the sun. That one not only blows my mind, but really scares me when they say that's the size of the earth and it just kind of zips off real Uh quick, you know? Yeah. I can't explain that. It's a really interesting photo. Very interesting or video. I've seen both. Um, Yeah. So your mind can spin on that a little bit and yeah, that's, that would be really cool. Yeah. That's very sci-fi to us, but maybe not so, maybe not so fi. Yeah. <laughs> I'm know? almost tempted to so, ask you like about everything that I'm wondering. Like, do you mind if I no, kind of just, go okay. ahead. I, you know, I don't know at all, but yeah. I have, you know, just, do you opinions. believe that there are bases on the moon? I kind of do. You know, the moon is really not normal. It's not like anything else out there. What do you it's mean? It's not like, well, it's got some different characteristics to it. You want to um, describe some of I, I know of them, but like just for the people listening, do you want to no, kind of go into that? Just the way it's in orbit around our earth there's been some i've heard people say that it, there's a sound to it okay there's a sound a different sound to it it'll ring like a bell mm, i've heard that too um i don't know for fact if that's true i've just seen what i've read on it but you know the moon's kind of strange and i know that when our astronauts were up there on the moon and then all of a sudden everything stopped i think that's pretty strange why didn't we go back? Why didn't we keep going back? Why didn't we keep investigating what's going on up there? We just stopped. Yeah. And I've heard people say that, well, we were warned off the moon. We were warned away from there, you know? Yeah. So uh, I think that's just about as easy to believe as anything else. Yeah. Because it is strange that we just stopped. Well, the counter argument to that to, would you know? be like just thinking about all the money it takes to create a ship and get all the fuel to go up to there, right? right? And then we just stop our exploration. Yeah. There had to be a really good reason for that. Really good. Something scary maybe. So, I don't know. I. It's not impossible that maybe we were warned off the moon. Yeah. You know? Have you heard that apparently there during the transmission, there's like a two-minute missing audio where apparently they switch over the medical channel and said, they're here, they're watching us, they're sitting right over the crater. Have you heard about yes, that? Yes, I have. What's yeah. your whole take on that? Do you take that as actual evidence or is that kind of hearsay? No, I don't. Um, it can't be proven right now that it's real, you know? Yeah. It's a great story. Sounds really cool. Yeah. But no, I, I can't go with that as being the real stuff. Yeah. And the fact that those astronauts, when they came back during that press conference, they seemed distraught. They seemed like they didn't want to say anything. Yeah. It was <laughs> odd. Know? That was odd. Very odd. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I've, um, all right. What about I've, Mars? I've talked with Edgar Mitchell a little bit about this. Really? I met him and he passed away. He did. Didn't he? A few okay. years ago. Yeah. But you know, he had some great stuff to say about it. And, um, according to him, yeah, there's stuff, there's beings. It's, we're not alone. So. so that's, he is one that fascinates me because I obviously I haven't looked a ton into Edgar Mitchell, but I know that he was, was he like the sixth man to walk on the moon? Right. But his like, his whole take on everything is so opposite of what every other astronaut is willing to say, he, you know? Yeah. And it's had, also a kind of extreme too. He was very mindful about everything. You know, he really thought about stuff. He wasn't just your basic engineer up there on a spaceship. 
he really had a good feeling about stuff. I, I think that he really had a, he, an understanding of what was going on. Interesting. You know, he just seemed like yeah. he was really into it and he just wanted to say something about it, but he just couldn't go that far. So is he a guy who was into aliens and UFOs before going up there? I don't know exactly. Gotcha. But I think if he wasn't before, he was after. Yeah. What does he say about it? Um, he just said that we're not alone. He wouldn't go into a lot of detail on that, but he verified to me that, yeah, we're not alone. Yeah. So there's something going on. He just didn't want to go into it maybe, or maybe it was just too deep to go into. Um, I don't know. Maybe his family was in danger if he went into it. I don't know. There's all kinds of spook stuff out there. So, well, um, Buzz Aldrin also says a lot of cryptic things too. You know, he talks about the monolith on the moon of Mars. Buzz has gone back and forth. Yeah. A couple of times. So I don't know about Buzz. I, I just don't know quite what to think about him. Well, you would think if anybody knows, he would have to know, right? You would hope that yeah. he'd be telling the truth. Yeah, but I don't know. I've I've seen him back right off of it and, and uh, dismiss the whole idea. So I just don't know what to think about Buzz. Yeah. So let's say tomorrow, big disclosure with a capital D happens. What happens to MUFON? What happens to ufologists? We might be out of business, you know? Okay. Um. And that would be a great thing for all humanity. I mean, really, we need to have this come out in the open. This needs to be brought out. It's been a secret for a really long time. Yeah. And it just, I think we're, we're ready. You know, humans are pretty adaptable. Yeah. We're pretty flexible. So I think that we're ready. We, we're killing ourselves here. You know, we need a little bit of help. So, hey, if, you know, some extraterrestrial awesomeness comes and wants to give us a hand and just, you know, maybe we just need a little bit of something to tweak us to make us... Do things right. Bring it. Yeah. Please. What do you think us, it would take you know? for capital D disclosure to happen? Like, what does that look like? You know, I don't even really know. I just think that, you know, as a, like I mentioned before, as a species, we're rotten. We are rotten. We are mean. We are warlike. We can't get along. We don't know how to even take care of our own species, much less try to interact with another one. So I don't know. I, it, it's just a big, huge mystery. Really yeah. Is. yeah. I was talking with Chris about this a couple of days ago and, you know, we were talking about like how a lot of people are saying maybe they're interdimensional, maybe they're from another planet. And I was trying to think to myself, well, what would be scarier to me is are they from another planet and have technology for interstellar space travel that we don't have or even know how to physically create or would it be scarier that they're in another dimension? Because I think that's a reality that most people haven't even considered. I think it's probably a mixture of both. Mm. I think there's a lot of things that we, well, like, take Bigfoot, for example. Okay? Yeah. Uh, we've had documentation on this, drawings of it on cave walls. We've had um, oral stories passed down through our indigenous peoples all over the world about this creature. We think it exists. We've seen tracks. We've seen, I, you know, talked to eyewitnesses. We've seen things that have been built. We've got footage. We've got uh, audio. We've got all kinds of things, but we cannot get a Bigfoot. Why is that? We can't find a bone. We can't find a skull. We can't find a den. We know bones. We find skulls, skeletons, and dens for every creature that lives on this earth, but we cannot find one for Bigfoot. Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It might mean that it's just an interdimensional being and it can go in and out at will. So it doesn't have to get caught. It doesn't have to get killed. It doesn't have to be found. 
So to me, that's the best, you know, explanation for Bigfoot that there is. It is an interdimensional creature. Mm. So I think if, if it's possible for one creature to be like that, surely it's possible for others. And yes, I do believe that extraterrestrial beings that we're seeing one second and not seeing another second and all this weird stuff is happening to us that we can't explain, why wouldn't it be interdimensional? You know, our, our know-it-all scientists out of there and our, you know, theoretical physicists have already told us that they have identified 11 different dimensions that we have out there. And they think there's lots more. They just can't get to them yet. Is this just theoretical physics or is it like actual proven well, mathematical physics? Everything's theoretical to begin with until it's proven. Hmm. Um, that's like when people talk about pseudoscience. Well, everything's pseudoscience until it becomes science. Everything. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just mean, means that it hasn't been proven. It hasn't been researched enough. We're still finding out about it. We're still learning. So, you know, theoretical physicists, yeah, they, they're on the right track. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of random and I, I don't like to venture off too far, but like, have you ever had a psychedelic experience at all with like psilocybin or anything like that? No. So I, I've never really been open to anything like that until recently, about a month ago, I took, uh, uh, some psilocybin mushrooms. Right. Okay. And I had an experience where I was seeing visuals and people talk about seeing visuals, but for me, what really blew my mind was kind of when you look at it from a scientific point of view, um, where I felt like I was seeing things differently and I didn't know what it was like to hallucinate or whatever, but I was looking at the TV and the colors are kind of melting like watercolors. Right. And so I look up cause I wondered to myself, well, what would happen if I looked at like the popcorn ceiling, like the texture on the ceilings, would they melt together? Like, what would that look like? Yeah. So I look up at the ceiling and the popcorns on the ceiling or whatever, they all just kind of rearrange like pixels on a screen. And they form the fractal of faces that people talk about in those like fractal artwork. Yeah. Um, have you seen that kind uh -huh. of artwork? Yeah. It looked verbatim like that. Okay. And they rearranged and I saw that and I kind of felt like it's it was another scary. consciousness, right? <laughs> yeah. It is a little scary. Yeah. So then I look down, I go, whoa, that was crazy. And then I look up and then they rearrange again and they're not faces this time, but now they're in the shape of something that I now know as it's called the flower of life. Okay. It's called sacred geometry. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what sacred geometry was until I started looking into why am I seeing this shape and where have I seen it? And this is a shape that's baked into every major religion, specifically the flower of life. And I'm like, yo, this thing was the size of the ceiling because all the popcorns formed it, yeah. right? And so that made me open to the idea that, hey, maybe there are other dimensions that maybe we just don't have access to until we get into another altered state of consciousness sure, like that, right? Absolutely. And again, I'm going to relate back to uh, some of the theories and writings of Graham Hancock. He's got a bunch of good stuff about this. So his theory is all the cave paintings that we found around the world, these are done only by the shamans, not by just the regular people sitting around their board. They wanted to draw something on the wall. These were all done by the shamans during ceremonies, during ritualistic ceremonies where they did some of the mind-altering drugs that helped them go out of their minds into the mind of the gods. And that's what they were drawing on the cave walls. They were trying to relay what they were seeing, what they were learning, and they wanted to pass that on to people. Um, and Graham Hancock goes into that deeply, and it's really, really interesting. But I think that, yeah, when people have a mind-altering drug like that, like people that are doing the ayahuasca, you know, down in uh, 
South America where they find the vine and the root that they combine to make the tea that you drink and it makes you really deathly ill and sick and throw up and then you have these great visions and stuff. It opens your mind. It broadens your horizon. Um, it allows you to see things that you never would have normally seen with your own human monkey mind. It just mm. doesn't work that way. You have to kind of clear it and go out to another dimension. So yeah, I would think that that would be absolutely just another dimension that we are able to access. Yeah. Have you ever seen or experienced something that you can't fully explain yourself? Yes, I have. You want to go into an example? Um, sure. Uh, this was, we were um, doing a, Stephen Greer has a, a CE5 protocol that he does to call in beings. And it's, it's we were starting a, a Phoenix working group. So some of the two of his main people that live here in Phoenix um, wanted to get Jim Mann and I involved with the group and start like a Phoenix working group. So we had about six or seven people and we would go out into the desert and found a spot out there that looked like it was just prime for what we wanted to do. And so we'd go into these deep meditations for maybe 20, 25 minutes and you're listening to a, a, a series of tones that put you into this meditative state. And at this one moment, um, and we all had brand new equipment. I mean, some of the protocols for going out there was you had brand new batteries in your flashlight. You had brand new batteries in your recording device. You had your cell phone was fully charged when you went out there. Um, we had everything done in place. And we woke up from this meditation that we had done for about 25 or 30 minutes. And as we opened our eyes, we noticed that there was these little tiny sparky things of light everywhere, all over the hillside, all over the sagebrush next to us, all over people. It was kind of like, like in the movie could... Avatar when those little floaty things went down and landed on their arms. Yeah. Kind of like that, but they were little tiny little sparky things of light, like fireflies. But we don't have fireflies out here. And they were smaller than that, and they would just be like the tiniest little pinpricks of light, but they were everywhere, and they were on our arms. They were around people's heads. They were on the ground covering the whole hillside, the sagebrush. It was just the trippiest thing I've ever seen. And I thought, oh, well, it's just our eyes have been shut for a long time, and it's just the little synapses, you know, yeah. of light going off. But no, everyone was seeing these. It wasn't that. Could you feel them? No, okay. could not feel it. But, you know, I just it just hit me very bizarrely out there is here we are asking for contact, and the contact that we were getting was a signature of energy. So it wasn't like what we were expecting. You know, the mothership isn't going to land yeah. over here on the hillside by us. But but we were making contact in some way. There was an energy signature that left itself with us and showed itself. And it lasted about 15 minutes. Hmm. And then it faded away. And we kept thinking, you know, well, what time is it? I asked someone across the circle that we were sitting. I said, hey, what, what time does your cell phone say? And she reached down in her bag and she picked up her cell phone and she dropped it. And she goes, God, that thing's burning hot. So it was so hot. And then she picked it up again and it went, Remember when they all used to make that sound before they went dead? Yeah. Went dead right there in her hand. Huh. And so someone else picked up their cell phone. Same thing. Same sound. Went dead immediately. So Jim and I are kind of like, wow, you know, let's let's go check our cell phones back in the car. And as we were walking back to where we were parked, we are kind of joking, thinking, man, these people believe anything. You know? <laughs> yeah. We were just kind of, you know, freaked out by it, but still thinking, you know, this. still even skeptical. Yes, okay. still, because this is just so far out of your normal realm of thinking. Yeah. Right. 
So we went back there and, and got our, I, I saw my cell phone on in my purse through the car window as before I even got into it. Mm. So why was it on? There's no service out mm. there. It's a complete dead zone out there. Yeah. So I checked with Verizon the next day and said, you know, would this work out there? And like, no, your cell phones don't work that way. Even if they were roaming, 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 they wouldn't have gone dead. And they wouldn't be hot like that. It doesn't work that way. So mine went dead the second I got it out of my purse. Jim's said, hey, I still got service. I still got it. And as he's touting his stuff there, it went dead. Huh. So all of our recording devices went dead. Even the really high quality Marantz recorder that we had out there with us with fresh batteries in it was not working. It did not record anything. Hmm. So we're thinking, well, this is kind of weird. You know, not only do we have this weird sparky light thing going on, but now every bit of electronics is dead. I thought, God, I hope the car battery's still working. You know, and the car batteries did. They worked. On our way back into town that night, everything came back to life. Now, when your battery goes down all the way to zero and it's dead, it doesn't get a charge again until you charge it up. Yeah. All of our devices came back on as we drove into town. Every one of them, full charge. Huh. So explain that. I don't know what was going on. Something something was messing with it. Okay, something yeah. was messing with our communication devices as we were trying to communicate with them. That's what I got out of this. Yeah. And they left us a signature in the form of light, that energy, that little sparky thing going on. So it was very strange. It was. It was really strange. Yeah. I cannot explain that. It happened to us one other time when we went out there and we thought, let's go see if we can duplicate this. And it happened again, not as brilliantly as it did the first time. But yeah, again, so I can't explain. So it's like the little balls of light and whatnot. Did you feel like there was consciousness within the light or anything like that? I didn't feel that. I didn't feel a consciousness or a a presence. I didn't feel that. Mm. Maybe I was just too freaked out by it, yeah. you know? Because it was really just the strangest thing I'd ever seen. How how is Greer? Uh, like, does he? I've I've never met him, but I've heard mixed things. A lot of people definitely are fans, but then like someone like Joe Rogan, I think he doesn't. He like is skeptical of everything that guy says. Yeah. Um, um, you know, he's a very commanding presence, mm. Doctor Greer. He's very tall, very built, very proud of it. Um, he's done a lot of things that I've heard him talk about and read about but as part of his working group here in phoenix we never experienced anything that i've ever heard happens at his you know ambassador to the universe gatherings um so yeah i'm very skeptical that that stuff really happens um i'd seen some video footage just recently about a hoax that he made out on the outer banks i think you know north carolina south carolina somewhere really? over there the outer banks yeah hmm. So I don't know. I, I've met him and talked to him a couple of times, and I was not impressed. He's very arrogant, so arrogant that it, it just kind of made me sick to talk to him. Mm. So, um, you know, maybe he, maybe it just all went to his head. I don't know. Yeah. I think he probably has something going on. He might be just super sensitive or just very, you know, able to communicate or thinks he can. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to prove. The only reason I ask that is because, uh, and, and it's interesting that you say that about how he tried to hoax something, apparently. I, I don't know. If, if I were trying to come up with some type of logical explanation for that, maybe thinking about some type of device where it kind of just, I don't know, like an EMP almost. Mm -hmm. But if it were an EMP, doesn't like it wouldn't come back to life right after you get out of the range. But 
I guess if you were in range of some device that had the capability to zap energy like that, as soon as you got out of range, it would stop affecting your devices, right? It would seem that way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That is interesting, so, though. Yeah. The so fact I'm, that they were just kind of floating balls of a light lot of right people, there. A lot of people love Stephen Greer. A lot of people really don't care for him at all. Mm. So, Do you feel like whatever is here, is it benevolent or is it something that is like pro-humanity or against humanity? Or is it one race or a bunch of races? Like, what's your take on all of that? Well, you know, I've never seen anything malevolent. I, I want to think, of course, that it's benevolent. I want to think that, yeah, if they came here, if they came here, they, they want to help us. Of course. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. They want to see us reach our goals. Um, I think that Homo sapiens sapiens are something special. We do have something special going on. Um, and I hope that they're wanting to help us. You know, we, we kind of need a little bit of help. I don't think we were given everything that we should have been given to help us reach our whatever we're supposed to be. Yeah. Well, with the Graham Hancock stuff, if they've been around for thousands of years, um, you got to wonder like, what is their, what is their motivation? What is their mission? What are they trying to accomplish? Um, and even I brought up the same, I was thinking the same question after, um, the MUFON meeting with Travis Walton, because if you look at the story from his perspective and the perspective of everybody who was there, very compelling stuff. Right. But then when you, try to take a step back and you look at it from a bird's eye view and you take a skeptical devil's advocate eye, you got to wonder why was the flying saucer there? Because it seems like what happened was it came, it abducted, it left, it healed, it brought him back. End of story. Yeah. Did they have a mission that was there beforehand? What were they trying to accomplish? Cause it didn't seem like they were able to do that because Travis got in the way, you know? Well, from what I've gathered, there's a lot of scout ships, basically, that come to this planet and look around. Um, they might be doing just a scientific thing, gathering data on what's going on, maybe with our livestock even, with the mutilations that we have. Maybe they're just gathering data there. Maybe they were up there in the forest gathering data on something, who knows what. Um, when Travis happened upon that, he was just kind of being an idiot. You know, and jumped out of the truck to get a closer view. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was abducted at all. I think abduction is the the really wrong word to use for the whole Travis Walton case. Mm. It was an ambulance call is what that was. Huh. Um, he got in the way when that thing started powering up. He got in the way of the energy of that thing. And it just took him for a ride through the air. Shot him through the air 30 feet. Probably killed him. Huh. And his friends took off, so they were not able to witness anything else. All we have is Travis's word on this. He woke up inside this, what looked like a ship, being worked on. Um, his buddies took off, and there were six of them besides Travis there. So they all took off. They thought he was dead. They were scared to death. They just hauled out of there. So Travis woke up inside what he thought was a ship, and he was being worked on. And so I think that you know he probably was killed by this energy that was coming out of the bottom of this ship. Um, or this craft, and they healed him, they brought him back, maybe they enhanced him, I don't know. I know he's a pretty healthy guy. Um, and he'll admit that he, he thinks it was an ambulance call. It hmm. wasn't an abduction at all. He wasn't taken against his will. It was him being stupid walking out there under this thing, and it got him. The minute he stood up, it yeah. got him. He just went into its 
power field or whatever, yeah. and it just zapped him. Just like any electricity, it just yeah. kind of zaps mm-hmm. whatever near is, was and nearby. Then, you know, he woke up on there to some things that were being done to him, probably just medical, you know, resuscitation. Yeah. And he was very scared, started fighting. They realized his fear level was probably going to keep him from getting better. So they kind of left the room and something came back in in a humanoid form. I yeah. think they realized that this might not be so scary for him. Let's let's make some one of us look like him. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if that's the Do real Do you think story. it was a disguise or just like their version know. of Chewbacca, like another species? I really species. don't know. Okay. I don't know. You know, but it came back in looking like a man in a spacesuit. And then he settled down a little bit. Huh. So he, and they walked him right off of this thing into what looked like a big hangar. Yeah. And then um, all of a sudden uh, he woke up alongside the road. Yeah. Near Heber. <laughs> so um, it's a really interesting story. But yeah, I don't think he got abducted at all. I don't yeah. think he was abducted. He just was in the wrong place and did a wrong thing and then was brought back to life. I mean, I guess that would kind of seem consistent with, you know, if you think about the classic abduction cases, a lot of them are, I have missing time, I have missing memories. The Betty and Barney Hill, did they even not remember what right. happened until mm-hmm. hypnotic regression? Right. Whereas he remembered pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking, versus comparing him to a classic abduction, they didn't take away his memory. Yeah. And you he know? wasn't taken against his will. And that's what the word abduction means. You're taken against your will. Um, Betty and Barney Hill, yeah, they were maybe in the wrong place at the wrong time as well. But yeah, they were taken. Um so a lot of people are, you know, we have a lot of abduction cases. People come to us and they tell us what's going on. And luckily MUFON has a, a team of people that are made up of counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists and people who can really help these people that are just, they're just really needing help. Yeah. You know, they're freaked out by this. We can only do so much as far as their sighting reports. So we, we finish up that part of the report and then we refer it to the experience or research team. And that's MUFON's team that they have of helpers that really... They do great work. They're headed up by Kathleen Martin, mm. and she's the niece of Betty Hill. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she really knows what she's doing, and they do some great work for these people and really help them through this and help them kind of come to terms with what happened and how to carry on because they're messed up. Yeah. And something happened to them that just rocked their world, and you can't always recover from that. Hmm. Hardly ever, actually. So Is MUFON a place for people to go if they see something. And the reason why I ask this is because earlier this year in March, my buddy who, you know, like I said, I'm, I recently got into this and I'll talk about it with my friends and I feel like I've kind of indirectly got them a little bit interested in it. Well, one night my buddy who was on my podcast shortly before this was talking to a group of people at a house on Camelback mountain surrounded by a bunch of houses at night and they see a ball of light appear right above them and he puts it on his Instagram story and I got, I recorded the clip on my phone, but it's like uh, two concentric spheres within each other. They're balls of light. They have different luminosities, if you will, the different mm-hmm. spheres and it's just hovering there and it's kind of zipping around and then it changes shape and you don't even notice it in the real time until I slowed down frame by frame. It, the changes of shape lasted one frame, one frame. It went to a, a seashell shape and another frame. It shrunk down to this big and another frame. It blew back up this mm-hmm. big. But it's just two concentric spheres just hovering there. And Lou Elizondo actually had an episode about these same spheres of light being seen by pilots in South America. Right. And I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. Especially since nine people saw it right there. 
Um, but after the fact, I was like, how do we f- even look into this? We have footage of it, but and I wasn't there, but like, how how do we even, is MUFON the place where people report that kind of stuff? It is. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can write into MUFON. So it's www.mufon.com. Go to the main MUFON website. There, you'll see a big tab there that says report a UFO. And you just click that and it takes you into a very simple questionnaire that you fill out. And then if you want to, you can fill out a bigger questionnaire, a little more detailed, and then it's shot back down to the state where it originated from. So say it comes to Arizona, it comes to my desk, and then I assign a field investigator to that case. Mm. And then the process starts. But as far as coming to the MUFON meetings, and um, right now with COVID going on, it's just kind of a wreck right now. But we normally have monthly meetings yeah. It just, you know, we've been doing it for 13 years without missing a month. Yeah. Um, we Dang. have some great speakers and great topics. And a lot of people do come for the first time because they want to find out if there was anyone else that saw something similar to what they saw. Yeah. They just need some validation that, you know, this does happen. I'm not crazy. I wonder if anyone else saw this too. So we have people that come and just want to kind of talk and, and see what's, what's going on. Mm. Um, they don't realize that it's actually a big presentation that they're coming to. It's not a meeting meeting. Yeah. It's a big presentation. It's not people sitting around drinking coffee, no, eating cookies. No, you no know? tinfoil hats, nothing like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, we have our meetings at the Arizona Historical Society Museum, which is a big state-run, beautiful, marble lobby, giant facility here that asked us if we would come and have our meetings there in their big auditorium. Hmm. So um, we said, yeah, sure we will, yeah. you know. So we have our meetings in this this great place, our presentations in this great place. And we have um, lecturers from all around the world that we bring in to talk on specific subjects. Yeah. And it's a three-hour talk, and it's $15 a person to come. So it's really the best value around that you're going to get for any kind of entertainment, much less education and the information that you're going to yeah. go home with, which is then going to spur you into doing your own research, and you're going to just go down some avenues that you're just going to be the smartest thing around. Yeah. So let's say from a field investigator standpoint, like one thing that really stood out to me, especially about your bio is like certified field investigator and you have a team of investigators. Mm -hmm. Let's say you get a report like that. How do you discern what you want to actually go out and investigate and whatnot? And then let's take that case. For example, what's the first kind of steps that you do as an investigation? Well, you know what? I might be able to bring Tara in on this. She's one of our field <laughs> investigators. You don't want to talk about this, Tara? Okay. Well, <laughs> what we do is we have a standard set of things that we talk about, that we ask questions about, that we study, that we look into. Everything's on there. There's there's nothing on there that's missed. Nothing. We have uh, the weather data. We have... It was there an animal present. I mean, a lot of people, this is really funny, we kind of joke about this, but if it wasn't for people smoking cigarettes and walking their dogs, people would never see anything in the sky. Because yeah. most of our reports come in and they say, well, I was out having a smoke walking the dog. <laughs> I saw, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, we have animal reactions. There's a, a, a piece in there that's, you know, how did the animal react to it? Because that's very interesting. Animals react very differently to this weird phenomena. Um, How do they react? Do they growl like a stranger? Well, sometimes they might tuck their tail between their legs and just whimper and whimper. And, you know, mm. sometimes they'll break away from their owner with such force. They're running home. They're scared to death. Yeah. Usually they're scared to death. Okay. It's it's something that fear is something that comes over people a lot um, when they're in the presence of an extraterrestrial. From what I've found out, that there's a 
big I mean, bunch of fear. If We're a not gray able alien to... was standing there, I don't know what would, I mean, my brain might just melt. I don't know how I'd be able to yeah. process that. And even that's what Travis Walton says too, that there's something that comes over you. There's the biggest sense of fear. I think that they can instill that in some way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I've never had the experience myself, but. So let's say you say, all right, this video looks great and I'll even show it to you after, after we get done here. But like, um, let's say you go out and you're like, all right, I want to investigate this. Do you just start door knocking and saying, Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see this? In certain cases? Yeah. Okay. Um, if they say, yeah, it happened right over our neighborhood here. Everyone had to have seen it. It was just yeah. huge. Well, yeah. Yeah. That investigator would then, you know, go and have an interview with that person. Um, and maybe, yes, if needed, they might go knocking on some doors and asking some questions. There might yeah. be, you know, witness two, three, four, and five that then they go and talk to also get everyone's testimony. And then you start putting it together. Mm. So there's a, a set of protocols that we use. Okay. And if someone wants to become a field investigator for MUFON, it's, it's a training that you go through and we have you work with one of our seasoned field investigators for your first four or five cases. So you're never alone. We work as a team. Yeah. We've got uh, 19 field investigators here in Arizona, and they're all trained exactly the same. So it's it is MUFON's. It's what it's the backbone of MUFON is the field investigations, and there and the protocols that go along mm -hmm. with that. Absolutely interesting. Yeah. Um, one random thing that I wanted to ask you about, kind of on the interdimensional topic, is I personally saw this thing when I was in high school and I thought it was like a demon or a ghost at the time. I now believe it was interdimensional. I've talked about this on my podcast before, but there was a recent update where I've met one other person who saw the exact same thing and how it relates to the UFO, not even conspiracy, but just like narrative is we talk about the men in black and the men in black show and say, don't say anything or we're going to hurt you or whatever. And some people say the men in black don't even look human. There's a non-human aspect to it. Well, when I was in high school, I saw basically I, I moved into a house and I've always been the type of guy who, even as a kid, I would walk into a room and I would feel like, I don't like this room. There's some bad energy in here. Like I would feel sick and nauseous to my stomach type mm -hmm. of thing. And I was like really, <laughs> I guess, afraid of ghosts and whatnot, right? But when I was in high school, I moved into this house at the Lake of those Arcs and being that it's at the Lake of those Arcs and we're kind of going down to the lake, we're built and it's kind of like your your window, even if you're on the bottom floor, is like 20 feet off the ground, you know? Um, and so what I would see happening first few weeks, few months that I, I lived in that house was I'd be like turning and in my peripheral, I'll see this window um, that's like 10, 15 feet off the ground a black shadowy figure crosses the window and it's got distinct features, wide brimmed hat, long trench coat kind of looks like a men in black and it's a black shadow figure. Well, when I moved into that house, I told my parents one thing, if we move here, I love this house. Just don't put me in that room in the yeah. basement at the end of the hallway. Cause when I go there, I just get real bad vibes. Even right now I'm kind of getting goosebumps uh -huh. talking about it. Well, sure enough, we move in, they make that my room. I have no say in the matter. So I'm going to bed at night. And here's the other part um, that is kind of interesting. It's not like you only see this shadow in the dark. I saw this shadow every night for years, right? And uh, what would happen is the TV would be on and there would be nothing in the window, right? There's a window here. There's trees in the background. And so you can kind of see branches and shadows moving and whatnot. But as soon as the TV's off and there's no electrical interference, the lights off, TV's off, it could even be daytime, this shadow figure 
where it's just the size of the windowsill that's 20 feet off the ground is just standing there. Long black trench coat, wide black brim hat. And it looks kind of like a men in black. And it would just stand there. It never moved, but like the branches behind it are kind of waving around. And so I w- in high school, I saw this for years. I would go out during the day and I would study the trees. I would try to study the shadows. I'm like, I must be crazy. It's just standing there. And I mean, you're at, it's a, you're at night, you're tired. You don't know if it's real or not. Um, and what gave me goosebumps and why I bring it up now is like literally uh, a couple months ago, I was going through Amazon Prime looking for something to watch and I see the exact picture of what exactly what I saw. And it's this documentary called The Hat Man. And I watched The Hat Man documentary and it's case after case after case of all these people seeing this same shadow figure and they get this negative energy whenever they see it. Same thing for me. What's crazy is I had a deep down gut feeling that if I tried to ever tell anybody about this while I was in high school, that it would not be there and it wouldn't, it wouldn't show itself. And it was, I guess as a kid, the way I could relate to that feeling is every time I tried to show my parents a magic trick I've been working on, I I always mess it up. Right. And so for this one, I'm like, I want to tell someone about this. I don't want to feel crazy that I'm seeing this thing every night when I go to bed and I just got to sleep with the TV on. So it's not standing there. Uh, well, one day I go to verify it's still there. I turn off the lights. It's daytime. I'm like, I can still see it pretty clear. My buddy's outside. I'm like, all right, I'm going to tell him. And this is like freshman to senior year of high school. It's my senior year. And I'm like, I'm finally going to tell someone I'm going to test this theory. And so I tell him about it. I'm like, it's going to be crazy. It's going to sound crazy when I tell you about it. I told him about it. He's like, all right, show me. Go up and show him. Not there. Haven't seen it since. Haven't even thought about it since (laughs) until I saw the documentary. Well, anyways, Clark, who was at the MUFON meeting with me, um, who's been on my podcast. We've talked a lot about UFOs and aliens. He has a girlfriend who I asked her the same question. Have you ever experienced anything you can't explain? And she said, I've seen a ghost when I was in my childhood uh, home. Uh, and my mom still lives there and my mom would always see it too. I was like, okay, describe it to me. She goes, yeah, it had like this top hat. It was like kind of a shadow figure. Didn't even think anything of it. Right. And she said, yeah, my mom, uh, had more experiences where it assaulted her sexually and she had sexual intercourse with this thing. And I'm like, all right, that's crazy. Right. So randomly I get the idea last week. I sent her a picture of the hat man, the same exact thing that I saw. Just Google image the hat man and you'll find a bunch of them. I was like, is this the thing that you saw? Same hat. She goes, oh my God, to the detail, exactly what wow. I saw. That's interesting. That's Makes creepy. me think it's That's kind of interdimensional, creepy. right? Well, it would have to be. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's... And I've always wondered about the men in black. You know, there's... Nick Redfern is a speaker that we had come in, and he has written a couple books on the men in black and the women in black. Okay, he's got all kinds of great stuff about the women in black. Same kind of thing. But, you know, I've always wondered about that. Why, why, why are they dressed in like 1950s stuff? Yeah. Wouldn't that make them stand out just a little bit more to anyone that saw them? Yeah. You know, in today's day and age, why are they still dressed in like 1950s black suits and fedora hats and stuff like that? Because anyone's going to look at that and go, who's that? You know? Yeah. What, what are they wearing? So it's just strange to me that, um. They can't update the wardrobe for one thing, um, you know, and yeah. maybe blend in a little bit better. I, I don't understand that. What I thought it. of when I saw it was it kind of looked, reminded me of the Jeepers Creepers movie. You ever seen that movie? Yeah. yeah. It, it reminded me more of that because it had the long trench coat and the wide, wide brim hat. It wasn't like a 1950s really okay. fedora, but it kind of does look like a men in black standing there just kind of like observing you. And I don't know, like 
that's where I find a lot of like relevance in the whole topic of interdimensional beings. But yeah. now we're really getting into the whole paranormal side of things. Um, but like you said, I think people misinterpret that word. It has a stigma, but it really just literally means outside of the norm, yeah. you know? Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated even with the big, I haven't looked into Bigfoot a, at all. Like where, where did you kind of get into the whole Bigfoot stuff? You know, I don't know. I've, I've always been really fascinated by it though. Still am. I, I've read a lot of books on Bigfoot. We've had, um, at, at our MUFON presentations, we don't talk just UFOs all the time. We talk a whole varied, you know, bunch of stuff. Bigfoot is something that we talk about there. So we've had three different Bigfoot speakers come in. Okay. Um, David Polites, who people might know from the Missing 411 series, which is one of the most interesting speakers and stuff out there. So what if is no that? one knows what I'm talking about, look up David Polites, P-A-U-L-I-D-E-S, and he has a, I think his organization is called the Can-Am Project. So Canadian-American Can-Am Project. Um, and he does stuff called Missing 411. And he's got a series of books out there about people that have gone missing, unexplainable, completely freakish stuff, mostly in our national parks. Mm. And they say that they don't keep track of anyone that goes missing in their parks. We all know that's crazy. Anyway, look into David Polites. He started out talking about Bigfoot. He was a Bigfoot researcher at the beginning, and he doesn't really do the Bigfoot thing too much anymore. He's bringing it back a little bit because there's some really interesting DNA studies that are going on with some of the hair and stuff that they found from Bigfoot. Um, I'm fascinated by the subject. I don't know why. I just am. I just think it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I loved that show Harry and the Hendersons when it came out. You know, that was really fun. Um, I think it's interesting that Chewbacca, you know, is basically a Sasquatch. Um, there's all kinds of great stuff about it. And I lived in the Northwest for a long time. So maybe just yeah. seeing that stuff around there, I was always looking for Bigfoot and yeah. And even here in Arizona, you know, we go camping and we'll look for Bigfoot and huh, Tara? try to find <laughs> yeah. a footprint or something. Sure. Yeah. We'll go knock on trees and we'll uh, mm. do some howls out there and stuff. That's just kind of crazy and fun. But the Arizona Navajo Rangers who are good friends of ours and they are an elite uh, police force up on the Navajo Nation, they told us about so many Bigfoot sightings. Hmm. And you think that, oh, no, that's only like in the Northwest or the heavily forested areas, real remote wilderness stuff. No, we have a ton of that in Arizona. And the Navajo people out there on the nation, you know, they're remote. They're, they're This is a rural thing. They don't have any neighbors close by. They're not looking for fame or fortune. They don't want to talk to white man. Yeah. Um, why would they lie about this stuff? It's really interesting. And the rangers themselves have seen Bigfoot sightings. They've seen the footprints. They've seen, they've talked to the people that have seen them. They may have even seen them themselves. I can't remember exactly right now, but this is legit stuff. Yeah. It's not made up fairy tale woo woo stuff. It's, yeah. it's legit. Well, can't with, explain it with the Bigfoot. So I, I actually have a biology degree. And so being that, I don't know, I guess I have the biological science background. I try to look for like signs of life that you were talking about how there's not a lot of it before. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're finding a bone. You're not finding skulls. You're not finding a family of these things, yeah. which makes me, again, you know, I haven't really looked a whole lot into it as specifically, but from what you've told you me, will now. I will now. <laughs> right. But it, it seems like if you're looking at this from an unbiased scientific point of view, there's got to be signs of just like gathering sticks. Uh, I built a structure or like a, a like a 
something for protection from the weather or the elements, anything like a family, a small Bigfoot, a big Bigfoot, a a female Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Are these mostly just eyewitness accounts or are there actual footprints that are not obviously like created by no there's there's real actual casts of footprints that have been found actual um actually up at idaho state university yeah where i went to school um dr meldrum what's his first name i know the last name is meldrum m-e-l-d-r-u-m he runs one of the programs up there and maybe it's the biology program i can't remember but he's one of the major bigfoot researchers in the world and he's got some amazing stuff up there. So, uh, but there's people all over the world that have casts of Bigfoot prints. Yeah, that have been proven legit. Are these so, Bigfoot sightings coming from basically similar um, climate types, or are no, they kind of spread out all everywhere? All over the place, and they're called different things in different places. Okay, you know, there's Bigfoot, there's Sasquatch, there's a skunk ape, there's Yeti, there's you know all kinds of things depending on. Do you what think these are all terms at? that are naming the same thing? I do. Okay. Yeah. They may be slightly different, you know, depending on the climate that they're living in, of course, and, yeah. you know, their surroundings. But, yeah, I think it's the same creature. I'll be honest. I've never heard uh, before this interview, like, talking about Bigfoot in terms of being interdimensional. Mm-hmm. And kind of the reason why I wanted to get talk more about it after bringing up the hat man is because if I'm thinking about interdimensional – Maybe the the hat trench coat is like the device that allows this being to access our dimension. Maybe, Maybe. right? Could be. Anything's possible. But with a Yeti, with a Bigfoot, I mean, these are naked, hairy animals, right? So I guess maybe I just don't understand the technology, but how would that be possible? I don't know. I wish I knew. (laughs) You know, I really do. It's just a really interesting subject. There's a lot to it. What do you think would be like the holy grail evidence? Because even if you saw it, like what? If someone were to shoot one and bring it in, mm. and there's a lot of people out there that are they're looking just for that fame and fortune of doing that. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Really. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of hunters out there. They go in a lot of remote areas. They see stuff. So I'm really surprised that one hasn't been shot and brought in yet. Hmm. Hmm. I had a whole list of questions I wanted to ask okay. you. I want to I want to reference All this right, real quick. Do that. All right. Cool. Cool. Um, what's one thing that I guess you're most fascinated by after you've gotten into MUFON? Is there a specific part of the story of what's happening that interests you the most? You gravitate more towards, and it's more on the archaeological side, and that being the origins of mankind. I see. So a lot of us, you know, grew up with the same stories, uh, mainstream Christian religion stories about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Noah's Ark, things like that. Um, And the more that you look into things, the more that you see that these stories have popped up around the planet in different places, a little bit different scenario going on. But you really have to go to the source of things. And to me, the source of things would be the Sumerian tablets. Yeah. So the Sumerian tablets are, oh man, there's just so many of them. There's, there might be a million of these things written on clay tablets that were, right now I'm going to say they were 3,313 years older than the writings of the Old Testament. Hmm. That's the age of these Sumerian tablets. They're written in stone. 
there's things going on in there that are described in detail that are beyond anyone's imagination that you think may have lived at that time, early man, okay? So you were talking earlier about maybe other other beings have inhabited the planet at different times. I truly believe that. I think that, you know, I think our scientists have known that this this planet has turned itself over, poles, everything has turned itself over four or five times that they can prove. There's a new beginning after every one of that. So the story goes in the Sumerian tablets that this planet was seeded by a being a race of beings called the Anunnaki. They came here looking for gold, and they found that this planet was very rich in that mineral resource. So they came here, kind of camped out, decided that that's really a lot of hard work, this gold mining. You know, we're getting tired of this. Can't we find some creature here to do this for us? What about these creatures that are bipedal, that are walking around out here? Maybe we could train them to do something. Hmm. So they combined their seed with this creature and created Homo sapiens. Then a second tweaking came in, and they created Homo sapiens sapiens. That's us. So we've been tweaked through our DNA to be who we are today. So this is complete blasphemy to anyone that is looking at this with a mainstream religious thing. Okay, I grew up a very religious person, Sunday school, all that stuff, just like most of us did. And I'm not saying that that cannot be true, but there's another story out here that looks a little more scientifically legitimate than just something that could be considered a fairy tale. I don't know the truth of these things. I don't want to make any enemies trying to find that out. But again, people look into it. Look into this. Go look up anything you can find about the Sumerian tablets, about the Anunnaki. It's spelled A-N-U-N-N-A-K-I. They came from a planet called Nibiru, which is what people are calling Planet X, or the 12th planet. Is this the one that they think might have been blown up in an interplanetary war, and that's where the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter comes in? No, Nibiru is huge, and it's on a very long, very elliptical orbit around the sun, and it only comes around every, uh, like, I don't know, 3,000 years or something like that. So we have, you know, yet to see them come back around. Do do we know, is this an actual astrological body that astronomers can point to and they know exists for a fact, or is Um, it only in these clay tablets? Some astronomers will say, yeah, yeah, we see it. We see this little tiny little glowy thing out there. We don't know what it is. And we see its pull on some of the other planets in the area. So we know something's out there, but we can't quite get a grip on it. But they can see that the other planets act around it. So that's how you know that something's in the vicinity. Mm. Um, And there's some that are going to say, oh, that is just BS. That is such a fairy tale. So you've got a variety of people. Yeah. So I've heard that narrative as well. Uh, does, isn't there Zachariah Sitchin? Mm-hmm. I haven't read his Sitchin. book, but yeah. um, I he hear that's a good... numerous books on okay. the subject. Numerous books. So um, Michael Tellinger um, wrote a book called The Slave Species of God, God with a Little G. Yeah. Um, it's different than The Almighty that we're talking about. Uh, so that's a great book to read on that. And then anything that Zechariah Sitchin wrote all centers around that subject. Yeah. Um, a really good one that, that really spells out a narrative of one of the sons of the god of this planet. Yeah. Is called The Lost Book of Enki, E N K I. 
Um, that's a great book, The Lost Book of Enki. So, but you can you can look anything up on the internet and find out about the Sumerian tablets and find out you know the majority of them are housed in a museum in in uh, London right now. But are these the the tablets? Are, are these the ones that were found in a cave where someone threw a rock in the cave and they heard a crash and they went in there? That, afterwards? No, that was the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, but these were were found you know somewhere around there too. I mean, it's ancient stuff. The Garden yeah. of Eden is somewhat there. Um, Eden was spelled E-D-I-N, not E-D-E-N. Mm. Um, it's where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers meet, right over there in the Persian Gulf. So there's a lot of really great parallels. Yeah. And seeing how these were written a long time before the Old Testament, a lot of people think that the Old Testament was just simply another version that someone wrote, and then it made itself into all kinds of other stuff that rolled into the New Testament. Yeah. So... Um, there's, it's super interesting, really interesting. And I don't know how this many tablets of this stuff going on could be ignored, completely made up. Yeah. Okay. People back then didn't have imaginations on this stuff. They had nothing to compare this to. Nothing flew in the skies back then except for birds. How could they make this stuff up? They couldn't, they didn't have the vocabulary or even the imagination to make this up. Yeah. It wasn't even look at that. That's no, like the definition of outside the box thinking if they were doing it. So, yeah, but it's really a fascinating um, story written down in those tablets. Let's say somehow a genie makes it so to where that is confirmed absolute truth. Anunnaki, mining gold. Does that change your outlook on life, your motivations day to day? It does. How so? And even when you look at what's going on with our politics today, you know, is are we... Are we really, are we really voting someone in that's going to be the leader of the free world? Are humans really capable of making a decision like that? I don't think so. I don't think that's voting at all. I think that is an appointed position that's mm. been laid out a long time before this ever came to pass. It can't. Why would they trust humans? Look at us. We're horrible. Why would we? Why should we be trusted with with voting in someone who's going to be the leader of the free world? I really believe that this world is run by a super secret elite bunch of people. Probably it, it all stems from money. It's all about money. Those who are richest get to run the place. And it's probably all run by the Anunnaki above them. Mm. Have you heard about, well, I guess uh, this is my question is I've heard the Anunnaki, but I've also heard about the reptilians. Mm-hmm. Are these two like part of the same story here? Well, when you think about, how many times this earth has turned itself over and started over again? Uh-huh. Say the Anunnaki were only the latest ones that came. Okay, it was 800,000 years ago that they came here. That's less than a million years. This planet's pretty old. Okay, so they're just the latest ones that came. Mm. Say before them, there was a whole nother, this whole thing going on with us. Maybe that was the reptilians. Maybe the time before that, it was the Pleiadians. That could very well be. Mm. that at each time there was someone that was master of the universe at that point in time and got to run everything on this planet. Hmm. Who knows? Yeah. But, you know, you hear so much talk about the different species of these beings that, you know, and the reptilians that they've been here forever. Well, maybe they were here before this all happened. And maybe whatever cataclysm happened to the planet, maybe they did hide underground. Yeah. And then they're still here. So we are co-indigenous with these people. Yeah. 
you know, there's, there's a lot to ponder. There, there is a, a hell of a lot to ponder. Yeah. And one thing that really does fascinate me if, you know, going along the lines of like, you know, you kind of just put it out there, uh, whereas you, you believe that there's a one, basically a one world order that's kind of running things behind the scenes. And I, have you heard about this, like, um, the 12 year old girl who kind of mapped the genealogy of all the presidents and like all but three of them or something were, were all related to a king. Yeah. And I did read that. Yeah. I mean, how crazy is that? And I would say that's pretty much corroborating evidence if you want to talk about conspiracies, right? Oh, that's great conspiracy fodder. Yeah, it is. That's great stuff. Yeah. Um, going along the other lines is talking about how you believe that the Anunnaki and whatnot. Have you also heard about Mars having like this trace element that's only made possible through, um, I forget what the exact element is, but it's like, this can only be created as from what we know through nuclear explosions and mm -hmm. it's like everywhere on is Mars. It, it's element 115? Not element 115. It's like a nuclear, it's like a trace element of like some nuclear blast. Do you remember what it's called? It might be xenon. Xenon, yeah. I, an isotope of it. Yeah. Have you heard about that? I have, yeah. That, I mean, something like that makes me wonder like where, where was that where humans originated and then somehow we got brought over here you know, it could be. Um, Mars was once very much like this planet. It had life. It had green. It had water. And something really bad happened to that. So they're thinking it was nuclear explosion. Well, it talks all about this in the Sumerian tablets, exactly really? how it all happened. And about nuclear war on this planet between those warring Anunnaki were fighting amongst themselves for really? domination. So to think that, well, why are we like we are today? Well, God, they made us that way. Huh. They made us in their own image. Exactly. So that's why we're warlike with each other, too. Yeah. They were very much warlike. Um, and they had giant nuclear explosions and stuff happening over in the Middle East. And there's scars on the planet. You can see it from Google Earth if you look at it. Huh. Um, one thing that I was talking with Michael Polani about was um, this, this character named Valiant Thor, who apparently came, and I, I'm sure you guys know of him. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean... Talking about nuclear weapons, wasn't his whole shtick like he wants us to stop the nuclear bombs because it'll apparently destroy the fabric of the universe or something? Right. Yeah. What? What is? Can you explain? You no, I'm not a Valiant Thor fan. Um, Why do you say that? I just don't think I believe that. Okay. I don't know. It just, for one thing, the the name Valiant Thor just hits me yeah. wrong. You know, yeah. it's just something that Very is science so fictiony. Marvel Comics. You know, yeah. it's just so weird. Valiant Thor. I just can't believe that that would be a name from you know this being that is all-knowing yeah yeah i just can't buy into that i don't know why it just sounds too weird um and i've heard the whole story about valiant thor seeing the pictures i just can't buy into it i just can't yeah it's just i just can't <laughs> it's just too far-fetched yeah i don't Some know much about it that's why much. i asked you yeah well what about it is like where you go nah other it was it just the name the name and then the pictures and he's sitting with the Kennedys and he's sitting with the, you know, the beautiful people. Yeah. And he's a very beautiful people. He's per like perfect. Um, where'd this model come from? Yeah. You know, I, it's just, it's just weird to me. I just can't buy into it for some reason. I just have this block against the whole Valiant Thor thing. Yeah. Yeah. On one hand, I got to ask myself like, okay, if, if this was not real and Valiant Thor was not 
had no legitimacy. How does he get connected to all these people? Why is he depicted hanging out with these high-level politicians? But on the other hand, coming from a, I'm a coach, I, I teach social dynamics, I teach men how to talk to women and, and things like that. And it's all like there's this thing called the halo effect in psychology. And the halo effect is basically we are more likely to give the benefit of the doubt to people we perceive as physically attractive. Right. Right. Well, he hung out with the beautiful people because he was a beautiful people. Yeah. So anything you he know. said, if he, just by the oh, way yeah. he looks and carries himself, they probably were just like, this guy means yeah. business. You you, oh, you're from Venus? We believe you. was way back then in the late 50s and the early 60s. Look at, look at Jackie Kennedy. Look at Marilyn Monroe. Look at all them. They were all that same beautiful, polished thing going on. And that's what Valiant Thor looks like in the pictures that I've seen. Way too pretty. Yeah. You know, just to be real. Yeah. And, and they just gravitated to that maybe and. I don't know. But the fact that he was trying to get us to stop the nuclear weapons and and then it, tying it back to what you said about the Anunnaki having nuclear war. Yeah. That could be a connection there, right? Mm -hmm. It could be. Some other species trying to help us out. Yeah. You know? Um, and there's a lot of things that have, in the UFO community, that have come to pass where we think that they might be helping us to not delve into nuclear physics. Um the Air Force bases up in Montana, Malmstrom Air Force Base. Um, Robert Solis was commissioned up there, and he speaks about this all the time. He's got a great talk on this. He's got a book called Faded Giant, and it's a really great book. Um, but he talks about you know how the uh, they had the the bunkers underground with all the nuclear stores and the missiles underground in the silos, and this these. Uh, extraterrestrial craft came over and just hovered over everything, shut everything down. Didn't blow it up. Okay. They weren't here to hurt us. Maybe, I don't know, but they shut everything down, shut the whole thing down. So you have to wonder, well, were they trying to do this just as a show of superior, superior force that they can do this? We can do this to you guys. Look what we can do to you. Or were they trying to just tell us something? Say quit you know, quit mm. because, you know, the kids have found the matches. Bad thing on this planet when the kids mm. find the matches. So, but there's many instances about that, even over the whole Bentwaters case over in England, you know, there was nuclear armament under the ground there in bunkers. And they think that that's what caused those craft to fly over there too, is that they were attracted to the nuclear arsenal that we had in different parts of the world. And yeah. they're coming over and they're just trying to tell us something like, Guys, don't, you know, yeah. doesn't pay in the end. Yeah. Could be, you know, maybe we got to listen. Well, I mean, technically, if you want to get into like morals and ethics and right, you're right. There's nothing good that can come from having nuclear weapons. It's like you show up to a party with five people and one of them has a gun and it's on his waist and he's just like walking around like, hey, what's up, guys? Hey, don't piss me off. Right. right. Um, and if my dog started playing with knives, I would probably put an end to that right away. Um, and, and being that the fact that like talking about evidence, this is one of the common things among all the countries is like these things are appearing over our nuclear bombs and our nuclear silos. Right. Um, that is very intriguing. Um, along the same lines, you know, I'm sure being that you're the state director of the Phoenix MUFON, do you, you must have a lot of people coming to you with their accounts, their stories. Mm -hmm. 
how do you discern who to listen to and who not to listen to? Well, we listen to everyone. That's the thing. Okay. We listen to everyone because some people might be able to interpret that better than other people. Some people are just weirded out by it. We have to listen to everyone. So anyone who wants to go onto the site and make out a report, we investigate it no matter what. Mm. So we listen to everyone. Some of them are short-lived. Some of them are complete hoaxes. There's a lot of people out there with nothing better to do yeah. than create a great hoax. And we can find that out too in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, How do you yeah. do that? Just we going out? And, okay. Well, you know, if there's, yeah, interviewing, determining some uh, healthy versus unhealthy mental states, sometimes medication, missed medication. Um, and then just people who, you know, we, we had a couple where, and it looked really good. The stuff looks really good at first, but then when we have our photo and uh, analyst check it out and slow everything down and find out all the data that he can about this filming and everything, we saw that this guy was filming the the light thing on the ceiling. <laughs> it was great, though. I mean, he did a really good job of it, but that's exactly what it was. Dang. So um, there's a lot of stuff out there that people, I guess they just want to see if they can do it, you know, or maybe they have nothing better to do in life. I don't know. Yeah. He's probably just like, oh, I could fool yeah, a lot of people with this, this. photo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we have a lot of hoaxes. Yeah. But we listen to everyone and we investigate everything that comes in. Okay. Let's say you get in conversation with a skeptic and I'm, I don't know if this has happened or not. What's like the one or two pieces of evidence that you point out and say, Explain this. Like, this is undeniable. The Phoenix Lights. That's the first thing I would put to them. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and just the amount of witness testimony that you can have on any one case. Are you calling all these people a liar? Everyone? Really? Yeah. They're not. Huh. So, yeah, witness testimony is a big one. Eyewitness testimony is huge. So if someone writes in a report and it's just them... Yeah, we can investigate that, and we will. But if they have two or three witnesses along with them that can corroborate that story, yeah, that's the good stuff there. Mm. More than one witness always, you know, counts for a little bit more. Yeah, it makes it much more interesting, and you can, you know, work with it a little more. Do you feel, or do you see spikes in like reported sightings based off of like, oh, an alien movie just came out yeah, or something like that? We do. How does um, that? After um, Unidentified came out, we had a spike. Because I think people were looking up more. People were outside looking up. They realized that stuff's there. We're just not noticing it. We're not looking up. We're looking down at the sidewalk and counting the cracks in the sidewalk when we're walking instead of looking up. Or maybe we don't go out in the wilderness enough. Maybe we don't go out and see the real stars. You know, here in Phoenix, our stars are drowned out by all this city light. We can barely see any stars at all here. But you go 50 miles outside of town, and it's a whole new world. So, yeah, we have a lot of people that, you know, will find stuff um, or they'll remember something. Say they see a show about UFOs or something. They're like, oh my gosh, that happened to me. Yeah. They'll remember something from their childhood and they'll write that in. So even something from 50 years ago, they can write in and report into us. There's not a lot we can do about something that's that historical. Yeah. But we will listen and we will take it down and add it to the database just as information only. Yeah. So do you ever get people from like, actual government positions or like legit people coming to you saying, Hey, I got to tell you something. Uh, yeah, we do have people that are considered whistleblowers that come in and say things and we just take their information down and add it to the database too. information only. Yeah. We can't prove or disprove what they're saying is truth. And are this um, are like not specifically just like people filling out a form on your website, but like 
contacting Stacy from Phoenix MUFON. Hey, I got to tell you something. Yeah, and they do. I get all kinds of great emails. Yeah. Um, but when they do, I tell them, well, that is an, an amazing story. You know, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for writing in. But if you want us to spend time and put this into an actual field investigation, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go to MUFON.com, report it in on the regular questionnaire, and then we'll get someone right on it. Mm. So it has to be done, you know, per the protocol. Have you ever had anything told to you in privacy off the record where you're like, oh my God. Oh, all the time. Really? All the time. And it's crazy good stuff. Stuff that you believe based on evidence or just Um, like, if that's true, that'll change everything. It's not based on evidence because it, it, it happened to that person, not me. I'm just hearing it third party. Mm. So yeah, everything's a great story. I mean, some of this stuff is just awesome. Anything you'd be willing to share? (laughs) No. (laughs) There's not. Okay. <clears throat> but yeah, we hear stories all the time. I get emails from people all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So a long time ago, pretty much right when I started this podcast and I, I got really interested in this topic, I came up with a document of my own. I was like, if I ever meet an alien, I don't want to be unprepared. So I had questions to ask an alien. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's good to be prepared. So right. my question to you is, if you had the opportunity to sit down for 10 minutes with an alien and he knows all the answers. What's your questions that you ask him? Why in the world did you make it so that we can get sick so easily? You know, if they were the ones that created our DNA and if they are immortal, why, why us? You know, why did, why did you give this to us? You know, why do we age so fast? 80 years on this planet is not very long. Why do you make it so that we only have 80 productive years? So that, would that be the first question or just one of the questions? One of them. Okay. No, I'd have to sit and think about that would have all to, my questions. But that's a good one, though. It is a good one, you but know? it also assumes that they did yeah. create us, you know? Yeah. Even if they did create us, that makes me curious. Or like, I could say, who created us? Mm. Do you yourself believe in a creator? Mm. Who is your God? Do you believe in praise and worship to this God? Or is, it, or is that just something that's strictly human and weird? Yeah. Because I've heard that from some people. They've got that information from extraterrestrials that say, we don't understand why you guys worship. Why do you worship God? It's not to be worshipped. It just is. Yeah. That, that I mean, I think that's the ultimate question. It. Yeah. It's yeah. a different spin on things. Who do you worship? Uh-huh. So you've heard other people say, are these like government people no. who have said that? Mm-mm. Okay. Just regular folks that have had communication with extraterrestrials. So they actually had the opportunity to ask the extraterrestrial mm-hmm. questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's people that have very frequent communication with extraterrestrials. Huh. And is this through like... Um, or so they say. I cannot prove okay. that. But yes, they tell me this. Yeah. Well, when they tell the, tell you this, do they say, I sat down in a room and, and talked to it? Or is it like, I was remote viewing last night and it drew it out in my journal, you know? Oh, usually they'll say, um, you know, that they were contacted, that they were woken up in the middle of the night or they were missing time happens a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all kinds of different instances. Huh? Yeah. Another, I mean, part of, if you got to wonder like, who can I trust? Who can I not trust? was it a dream in the middle of the night. Right. What if the Sumerian tablets, the clay tablets were their version of fiction novels thousands of years ago? Is that a possibility? Sure. And being that we're so out of the context, we're like looking back saying, what are they trying to tell us? And it's really yeah. just their form of entertainment. Is that well, a possibility? Anything's possible. I have learned that anything 
anything is possible. Mm. Um, but when you look at the stuff that they're writing in the Sumerian tablets, they couldn't possibly have come up with this stuff because it just didn't exist for them back then. There's just they're writing about stuff that just isn't part of their world. Mm. So either this scribe had a really vivid imagination or I don't know what, but I mean there's some stuff there that just you sit and think about this and you're like, no, they couldn't have made this up. Yeah. It didn't exist in their world and their whole paradigm. Huh. This is a really off the wall question. And I asked Clark before this, this podcast, if he wanted me to ask you any specific questions. Uh And this is one of them. He he gave me like four of them. Has anybody that you've spoken to claimed to have ever had sex with an alien? Has there ever been that? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Tell me more. Now I'm intrigued. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the one, a couple that I've heard, um, it was reptilians. Okay. And they said they were just great. Great. Great at sex. Great at sex. Okay, so it was a, it was a female who said she had sex female with a reptilian. Female telling me this, yes. Was the reptilian like um, an alligator that walked? It was bipedal or was it like a snake? Uh, more of a alligator man looking thing. Interesting. Yeah. And They're all kind of like alligator people. What, what did a you say bit. when you were told this? Like, really? <laughs> okay. Really? Wow, really? You know, I mean. Was he a smooth talker? <laughs> <laughs> How big was he? <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've, I have heard that. Yeah. I've heard that the reptilians have such a bad pungent smell. And again, like the, for all we know, we're just talking about science fiction, right? Cause right. we haven't experienced it ourselves, but have you heard the same thing? I would feel um, like that's a deal breaker for sex, right? I haven't heard that they have a bad smell, but I've heard that they're just very, they, they emit emotions of extreme fear hmm. and just bad, 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 bad feelings. Bad. Hmm. I mean, I would be you really would know surprised. When you're in the presence of one, just it's just horribly bad. Do they wear clothes, like a top hat and trench coat? <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I don't recall hearing about that. Whether they were covered with scales or if they had, you know, polo shirts on, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Well, being that we talked about sex with an alien, I think we've literally hit everything in this <laughs> podcast. Much, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, thank you. And uh, is there anything you want to shout out, uh, Mufon? Anything? Big coming up for all the listeners who are still uh, here. Well, you know, MUFON is plugging right along. COVID has not stopped the sightings or anything like that. I mean, we have the, a database full of information. You can go to the MUFON website and find out anything you want to know. You can become a member of MUFON. You can become a field investigator. All the information is right there if you'd like to do that. Um, a lot of the groups, of course, aren't having in-person meetings right now, but they're having some virtual meetings, so you can find something in pretty much any state you're in right now. Uh, Phoenix MUFON is doing a live streaming lecture series. Uh, we haven't had one. Uh, the last one we had was in early November. It was James Fox speaking that day. So we'll probably have another one coming up in January. And hopefully with some restrictions being lifted on COVID, we're all hoping for this in the spring, we'll get back to doing some in-person meetings. Um, Phoenix MUFON hosts the boot camp every year. It's held in November right here in Mesa, Arizona. So that'll be coming up. And then, MUFON will be holding their annual big, big symposium. It'll be in Las Vegas this year in July. And they'll have great speakers from all over the world coming in for that. And that's about four days of great fun. Good information. Awesome stuff going on there. Awesome. So, well, I'll, I'll yeah. definitely be attending some of these myself. Okay, well, thank you so good. much. And thank uh, you. see you later, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Peace.